Happy New Year, and welcome to The Naked Truth, real talk about West Coast Swing. My name is Eric. And I'm Deborah. And today, we are going to start the year off with some talk about self-care and personal development. Specifically, we are going to talk about how dance can impact one's mental health, both positively and negatively, and discuss ways for people to help themselves and others who may be negatively affected by the dance world. Joining us for this conversation is a board-certified psychiatrist at Palo Alto Veterans Affairs Healthcare System and assistant professor at Stanford University's School of Medicine Department of Psychiatry. It should be noted that all opinions expressed on this show are his own and not endorsed by Stanford or the federal government. He received his medical degree from UC Berkeley and UCSF's joint medical program with a concentration in medical education and completed his residency and fellowship at the University of Michigan. Not only is he an experienced psychiatrist, but he's also a West Coast swing dancer and DJ here in the Bay Area who, along with his wife, runs a monthly dance on the peninsula. He's also just a super nice guy and a friend of mine. Please welcome to the show, Dr. Divi Ravindranath. Yay. Hey, thanks, thanks for having me on. Really looking forward to this uh, opportunity. Yeah, thanks yeah. for being here. Thank um, you. This is a topic that keeps coming up, right? How people maintain their their mental health, their psychological well-being, their emotional well-being in a community that can be joyous and can also be stressful mm -hmm. at times, right? So let's start by talking about how we learn to dance, how we sure. get into the dance. So what can you tell us about how people learn something like partner dancing? And how does the learning process affect one's perception of self, confidence, self-efficacy, etc.? Sure. So, you know, people learn for all kinds of different reasons. Uh, you may learn because you have to, uh, like if you need to learn a new skill for your job or something like that. Or might learn because you're bored. Uh, this explains the, you know, the interest in things like National Geographic, where you're learning about different cultures, uh, for no other reason other than you need something to fill the time. Right. And so all these different things come into why somebody might, might want to learn something. Now, uh, dance is a skill type learning, which means you can't just sort of read it in a book, right? Knowledge you can get from a book or from a DVD or on YouTube or whatever it might be. But as a skill, it really requires that somebody go about practicing and learning the physical aspects of the dance as well, not just sort of understanding it in concept. Mm -hmm. And it's how it's applied that becomes really um, an interesting thing for people as they continue to do it and continue to grow within the dance. Um, as people go through uh, learning in a skill, in terms of skill, uh, people start out uh, kind of not knowing what they're doing, right? but mm -hmm. really enjoying it. Mm -hmm. And that's something we call, uh, in sort of an, they're in an unconsciously incompetent phase. Right. Where, mm -hmm. you know, they are really enjoying it. They have no idea what they're doing. And so as a result, they feel like they're doing well. That's really hard for them to sort of change the mental framework from, I'm enjoying it and therefore it's good to, I need to do something differently to make it better. Right. 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 And I think that transition happens when they go to a consciously incompetent phase. And in that conscious incompetence is where the learning happens, that there is growth in terms of the knowledge about the dance or knowledge about the skill, as well as the capacity to implement it. Um, usually this is a time when people feel bad and feel sad about what they're doing. Um, and in some ways that negative emotion becomes motivation to get to the next part of it, which is where somebody is consciously competent. Right. And that's when, you know, they can say why this worked. They can demonstrate how it works. It feels great. It looks great. Everything's working. At some point, people become experts. And then they no longer think about the nuts and bolts about why this dance is working or why this skill is working. Uh, they just simply go out and do it. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, that's when they are unconsciously competent mm-hmm. at what they're doing. And that's really when the happiness starts to come back. Until then, there's this sort of little bit of niggling self-doubt right. about whether this is correct, whether uh, whether this could feel better, whether this matches the music as well as it could, or whatever it might be. Right. And this is true for all skills, whether this is dance in particular or learning to cook. Right, First time you put something together, tastes great. I did a great job. Well, there might have been a different way you could sort of put that together or learning to drive. Hey, I didn't crash the car. Right. <laughs> that was awesome. That was right. so much fun. Right. But then there's all these rules to learn about what you to use a turn signal or which lane you drive in, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, which yeah. then changes um, the impression about it. And then the learning process happens. And now we all, those of us who drive, drive cars by and large as, you know, unconsciously competent individuals. Right. Depending on your, you know. That's how I drive. Everybody else drives. Right, 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 right. right. <laughs> so what might um, trigger somebody to go from the unconscious incompetence to conscious incompetence? And is there anything that like we as instructors can do to help with that transition and keep people motivated rather than deflated? Sure. Realize what they don't know. Sure, sure. So um, they the transition from unconscious incompetence to conscious incompetence is really a transition from the emotional state around the activity. Mm-hmm. And so uh, at the point where somebody wishes that they had more, right, right, whatever that more might be, and in this dance, oftentimes it is competitive success that drives people to start to get more coaching, go to more classes, whatever it might be, and then transition on over. Um, or it might be that they've had some experiences on a dance floor where it's like, that didn't feel good. Mm-hmm. That's not working for me. So why is it not working? And some people might take that moment to think about, those were more self-reflective, and I think we'll talk about this as we go. Right. Uh, they'll think about, you know, maybe uh, if I did it this other way, right? But there's that that maybe if I did it this other way is developing the conscious understanding that they're not doing it correctly. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Uh, so then in the process, uh, so another requirement for learning is also uh, formative assessment and formative feedback about how the process is going. Nobody, if you were to launch a rocket, uh, I think they just launched one over to Mars and something landed there recently. Mm-hmm. But all along the way, there had to be little course corrections uh, to make right. sure that the rocket hits the target. Right. Right. Okay. And absent the course corrections, the rocket will just fly off into space and then that's that. So this is where work with a coach or work with an instructor can be particularly important, where this is a trusted individual who has more experience in what's going on is at that conscious competence or unconscious competence stage that can point to, well, if this little thing was a little bit different, then you would be closer to your goal. Right. 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 Um, not to be confused with summative assessment, which is saying, did you land on your, did you land on the target? Right. 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 And so, uh, and it can be delivered in different ways. And certainly medical, medical education is really challenging for us because medical students being very, uh, very motivated, uh, perfectionistic, some might say, uh, it can land as an emotional blow to hear the formative feedback, right? Because it gets conflated with summative assessment, right? Yes. Rather than, rather than understanding this is how you get from point A to point B, uh, it is the feeling that you are failing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we talked about this with Lori, um, and Deborah and I both are kind of from the same school of thought of like tough love, right? Like mm-hmm. our job is to tell you when you are off course to right. help you get back on. 
Um, my experience personally is like it varies student to student on how well they deal with that kind of teaching approach, right? Yeah. yeah that approach. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I've had to adjust my teaching. Sometimes I'm just not the teacher for them. Uh, is there something though, like, is there a, a way for teachers to kind of get a better sense of what the best approach might be for sure. a given student? Sure. So, uh, everybody comes to an interaction with all that's come before. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it's not that sensitivity to, uh, the conflation of formative feedback with summative assessment mm-hmm. and the, uh, sensitivity to negative criticism is something that the individual has with them in many aspects of their life. So those sure. who understand that will come to a coach who maybe is too much tough love and say, mm, not uh, for me, not right. for me, not for mm-hmm. me. I'll switch to somebody else. Right. Mm-hmm. And then on the coaching side, it's, uh, sometimes, especially when I'm working with medical students who come sort of with this perspective, it, it is very helpful for me to say, look, I am going to tell you a lot of things that will not feel good. Mm-hmm. That this is what the intention of helping you get from point A to point B. And it doesn't mean that I don't like you. It doesn't mean right. that I think you will never hit your target. It's that you and I need to be allied in this process so we can get you to where you want to be. And that sort of framing ahead of time helps for people to understand at a cognitive level that what's being said or what's being done is in pursuit of a shared goal mm-hmm. as opposed to a criticism of what's, what is happening now. Right. To better them. To better them. Exactly. Yeah. Sure. Um, so, you know, many of us, uh, who dance, we do sort of find, you know, joy and relief in a stressful world. How can dance be a way to relieve stress and improve our mental health? Oh, so absolutely. So, uh, dance is an incredible activity and there's a little bit of science behind <clears throat> what I have to say here in that dance and dance movement therapy mm-hmm. have both been, uh, studied, uh, with patients who have disease processes, things like d- depression, major depressive disorder, uh, schizophrenia, dementia, so on and so forth. And, uh, does show that it improves quality of life for these individuals, improves their social connectedness, can improve metrics of the intensity of the disease. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are, uh, correlational studies, uh, large correlational studies that would suggest that people in their sixties who have an activity like dance, less likely, they're less likely to develop dementia in their seventies and eighties. Uh, and so it is a huge plus for people's mental health. Um, the, uh, now I should put a couple caveats here, uh, because I'm talking about disease processes specifically and disease processes are when the biology for a particular emotion, for example, or for a particular cognition, for example, or capacity for memory, whatever it might be, those become dysregulated or become deleted for whatever reason in the brain. Mm-hmm. And this is not the same as the emotional life that we all experience uh, from day to day, moment to moment. We'll talk about that a little bit, I think, right. we go. Um, the other caveat here is that some of these studies are correlational in their nature. So we don't actually know, uh, absent larger intervention trials, about, you know, is it the activity itself or is it the type of person who would engage in this activity mm. for another reason is protected against development of all these other negative things that might come. Um, and I keep, you know, as I was reading about this, I kept thinking to myself, how would I construct an intervention study? Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. I can get people in their sixties to sign up. We can monitor them for 10 years, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. But would I tell them to not do activities 
to see whether they would not develop, they would or would not uh, develop dementia. Right. <laughs> right. That seems like it's impossible, right? Like, what mm-hmm. would you do with your free time if that was the case? So it ends up being just a comparison between is dance better or is Sudoku better? Right. Or is crosswords better? Whatever it might be. No, I don't, wouldn't it be because dancing, say like being an athlete, um, we're using so many parts of our body that are connected to our brain as opposed to say like doing like Sudoku, like you said, or chess where we're like sitting down and it's just using one part of our brain. So yeah. I, I, so I would say that dancing and athlete athletics is really good for mental. Absolutely. Absolutely. And sharpness. so, so there, um, there are, there's some studies about motor function in people who dance as they get older and it's certainly better. Things like balance is better right. and coordination are better. And this is not trivial that, you know, somebody who's in their 70s or 80s, a fall with a hip fracture might mean long hospitalization and death. Right. And mm-hmm. so, uh, so it is very, very important to maintain those physical skills as well. And this is where dance has perhaps as an advantage over other leisure time activities in older life, uh, where uh, not only is the brain active, but the body is active as well. Right. Um, then you also look at the preventive, uh, preventive services, forgetting the name right now, but the, the recommendations for exercise over the course of somebody's life and how exercise is, um, really important in terms of preventing stroke, preventing heart attacks, uh, improving, um, uh, metrics of diabetes, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Where if somebody's getting like 150 minutes of aerobic exercise per week, uh, intensity being, uh, Enough so you can talk, but not enough so you can sing. Okay. Right? right. Somewhere, somewhere in that range. So right. 150 minutes of that per week, then, you know, the studies would suggest and the research would suggest that they are improving their overall life outcomes, not just, uh, not just in terms of mental health. Mm-hmm. I've also heard that, um, to your point, Deborah, that dance in particular compared with other physical exercise seems to have certain benefits. Perhaps because, again, it's correlational, but perhaps because it requires not just the physical coordination, but the sort of mental uh, processing of, mm-hmm. yeah, but of music mm-hmm. combined with movement. Like, there's a lot of coordination involved. Yeah. Where mm-hmm. when we're running or lifting, you can kind of zone out mentally. You can totally zone out. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And so it becomes easier to do uh, those other activities in what I would consider a non-mindful way. Mm-hmm. and. Uh, now I'm introducing a technical term of mindful, mm-hmm. uh, where it is uh, kind of an attention to everything that's happening around you, at the same time being non-judgmental about it. And so, if the like if somebody's meditating and they have an intrusive thought, it becomes very easy to blame oneself for having that intrusive thought, and then the meditation goes off the rail. Right. With dance, like at least I find, and I'm sure others in the in the listening audience may find this as well. That because there is so much to pay attention to and all of it needs to line up for the dance to work. That's the music, mm-hmm. your partner, yourself, where you are on the floor. Maybe if you're in a, in a uh, competition environment or a show environment, also the audience and the judges. Right. All this needs to line up for it to work. And so it forces an individual to have that divided attention while also being attentive mm-hmm. and sort of letting it flow. And yeah. I think we all find that our best dances are the ones where that is not, is not interrupted. Those are the ones that feel the best. And when everything's reflect, lined up. When everything's lined up. Right. Mm-hmm. Are there other benefits from doing this dance? You know, you talked about sort of life outcomes, especially mm-hmm. later in life. Mm-hmm. What are the more immediate benefits of doing this on a regular basis? So, uh, 
So um, these sort of meditative practices have a way of improving um, not just what happens in the moment, but what happens outside of life. Um, so uh, if you think about psychotherapy, for example, let's just assume that psychotherapy has uh, capacity to improve the um, the experience of life for people who engage in psychotherapy, whether it's for a disease process or otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, that's an hour per week that you're doing right. this with your therapist, right? Just If you just go in and do that, then nothing changes in somebody's life. Because well, they have to do becomes, the work. It becomes no? separated, right, exactly. And this yeah. goes back to the, the prior question about learning and about intentional practice, where, like, if you think about psychotherapy as an hour with your coach, and a time to talk about or think about things that might have happened in your life and then receive coaching about how this might be affecting the other 167 hours of the week. Mm-hmm. And then implementing that as you go through, it becomes like life is practice for what was taught or what was coached during that hour. In the same way, uh, what we bring to the dance and what we take from the dance can apply to the rest of the time. So I might might dance for 150 minutes, hit my exercise goal for the week, right. mm-hmm. and then move on with my day. But those experiences that might have happened there are uh, available to me in a subconscious way for the rest of what's happening. Dance, right. dance becomes a mindfulness practice in that way. Right. And, uh, and then as you practice, that skill gets easier to do. Um, and then the more it becomes applied and everything else is happening in my life. Right. Right. Um, and we often talk about how, you know, dance, well, Deborah and I talk about this a lot, that dance yes. is, is about life. It's not yes. just about the physical act. Right. Mm-hmm. And, it's an emotional thing, too. Right. And I've seen a lot of people, students, friends, whomever, um, whether it's from the act of dancing or being part of a community, mm-hmm. um, that can be really beneficial. Can mm-hmm. you tell us a little bit about that aspect of it? Like beyond the, the physical act of dancing and all that requires what are some of the benefits of being part of a community? Sure. So, um, so there's, I mean, there's a whole world of medicine around social connectedness, mm-hmm. right? <clears throat> and uh, and I would argue that as human beings, we are social animals, and that uh, disease processes that make it so we're not social correlate with much better with negative health outcomes, uh, things like post traumatic stress disorder, major depressive disorder, schizophrenia. These are all things that make it harder to relate to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and people in general, and it makes it so that people are isolated and no longer receive the practical support that they might need in order to succeed in the world, whether that's like transportation to the grocery store or something like that. Life just becomes harder and harder and people become shut into their own little environment. And it becomes very easy uh, for that environment to to move astray from what's happening in reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the lack of social connectedness is definitely a problem. And you think about it in a positive way where the dance community can become a community of friends. And these are people who somebody can call upon in a moment of need uh, right. in order to address some practical realities. Like, um, you know, whether it's uh, loss of a job and you need to find out who in your world does simple, similar things to what you're doing so that you can maybe get back on that track. Uh, or if it's uh, like you need to... You need to get health insurance or life life insurance or something like mm-hmm. that. And you know somebody in the community is an insurance broker. Right. It becomes very practical in that way. So that's it the practical aspect. It helps us with aspect. networking. Helps, helps sure. with network. Absolutely. So uh, there's the practical aspects. And then there's the emotional aspects, right? At a dance, uh, you know, uh, very few people go there, dance the, every song, and leave. 
Right. That doesn't happen, mm-hmm. right? There's moments in between where you need to rest. You might be talking with somebody, start seeing how their day is going, and then you receive that uh, validation in return about, um, you know, you get to talk about your life and get validated for whatever it is you're experiencing. And that validation helps us to build those relationships within the community as well as continue to experience those things that might have gone poorly or might have gone well, whatever it might be over the course of the, over the course of the day and over the course of the week and over the course of the month and, and just sort of goes on and on and on. Yeah. And I imagine people can even get that just from the dance itself. Like even if they did just come and dance with a whole bunch of people, mm-hmm. that three or four minutes when you're dancing with somebody is sure. a moment of emotional connection. Right. Um, or can be. Yeah. Anyway. I find yeah, it yeah. often euphoric when I walk off the dance floor. Yeah. 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 So, uh, so that actually raises another interesting topic, which is validation in the dance, right? Mm-hmm. So there's, as we're talking, uh, right now, I'm hearing little hmms and ha's and yes. Mm-hmm. Those are all validations of you are listening to me, right? Yes. Right? <clears throat> in the dance, we don't say hmm and ha and yeah, <laughs> right. right? There's something else that's done, right? Mm-hmm. And it was really interesting to hear about, uh, some of these ideas about like mirrored footwork, for example. And how, when that is initiated by a follow, if the lead picks it up, there's a big smile. Right. Right. Because that action by the follow is now validated by the lead. If that makes right. sense. Yes. Right. And oftentimes as lead follow, like, you know, the lead is insisting or demanding or whatever it might be. And the dance is going in a particular direction and the follow mm-hmm. is following. So that validation only goes in one direction. Right. It's been really interesting. I've now been to this dance for uh, eight-ish years now, and it's been uh, really interesting to see how this community has, and the and the dance itself has sort of moved from a pure lead follow, at least as I first learned it, to something where the lead pays attention to what the follow is doing, mm-hmm. and then tries to bring that in in a way that makes it reciprocally validating. If mm-hmm. that makes sense, yeah, yeah, right? absolutely, yeah. it definitely does. You know. um, Dance, like, is something that's really important to a lot of us in the dance community, not just because it's our, it's our business. It's something that, um, helps us get through the day, right? Mm-hmm. And we ha- we've had a lot of people who've been part of our community who have suffered mental issues or, or depression and have, you know, gone through like suicide. So what's a good way? of dealing with this in our community because it's, it's been prevalent a lot and it's something that's saddening to all of us who enjoy being around one another and to hear that someone's not feeling so great about themselves, that they feel the need, you know, to um, take their life. It's, it's hard to understand. Um, so how do we support those considering taking their lives and, and how do we react to the people that have, taken their lives. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This is a really difficult subject. And yes. And I know um those in the listening audience have experienced this maybe in the dance world, maybe in their personal life. And even when you think about death independent of suicide, there's there's still a loss associated with that. And so I want mm-hmm. to take a minute and validate everybody's grief as they might be reminded about this stuff and know that um know that death you know death happens and it's really unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Um, so my condolences to everyone who might be listening out there who's experiencing this, um, or has experienced this in recent years. Um, I'll also put out there another, uh, another caveat or disclaimer, which is that as we talk about this 
topic, I'm talking in generalities. Right. Not about, cause I have no, no personal information of anybody out there necessarily. And it would be inappropriate for me to make some sort of determination about someone who has killed themselves without having done the interview and done the assessments of them and so on and so forth. So this is really talking in generalities. Uh, in psychiatry, this, uh, the famous case with Barry Goldwater where Back in the day, some psychiatrists made some claims about his personality state and so on and so forth without having done the interview when it was um, not well received, let's say. So, yeah, so suicide, are, uh, first off, loss is hard. Um, when somebody dies, uh, there's a hole that's left in the life of those who knew them. Mm-hmm. That there's a physical, there's a emotional hole. Um, because this is somebody with whom they've had this relationship over time and there's grieving that that relationship does not continue. Um, and then there's also a practical hole that sometimes we forget about that maybe this was the person who, uh, was, you know, the main income winner for the family. Mm-hmm. And so now there's that practical hole that's missing, right? Um, and it's, it can be really challenging to move beyond that. Um, in, my training, when we talked about death and talked about grieving, we talked about the process of going from hearing about it and not believing that it actually happened to feeling angry about it or other negative emotions about it to eventually coming around to acceptance. Um, and so from a psychotherapeutic process is to sort of help and support the person from point A to point B along the way. Um, and then that's the emotional life. And in the practical life, there's also filling those holes in other practical ways. Like how are you going to afford your lifestyle? when the main income winner for the family may have passed away. Um, and those practical questions need to be addressed. And so when somebody's experiencing loss, reaching out for help and support in both, both realms, both the emotional and in the practical is really, really the thing. And so coming back to community, this is where the community can be so helpful. Right. That if we are a community of friends, not just a community of dancers, mm-hmm. the community can be, can be leaned upon uh, to, help to fill some of these gaps and address some of these questions and provide support where support is needed. Now, <clears throat> suicide is, uh, is even more challenging because the suicide oftentimes is impulsive. Um, and, and the research done of people who have attempted suicide and survived the largest peak is around the impulsivity as opposed to the long contemplated I wanted to kill myself for weeks now. And now here I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and in the impulsivity, it might be that this was the interpersonal interaction with a loved one that led it that way. And so it can lead to an additional level of grief and self blame, um, around whatever might've happened. So that adds another, another thing around which somebody would need to receive support. Um, so we're talking about it. Like in the specific that somebody's died or somebody's had died by suicide and here we are, right? Um, now in the general, how do we know? How do we know when somebody's having a bad moment? And to tell you the truth, we don't know that over half of suicides are never predicted and that, um, we know some things about why people might want to die, that they feel alone, that they feel like a burden, that they are hopeless about their circumstance. And we know that, you know, that translates to action when there's access to means and opportunity, um, and they develop an intent and whatever that moment clicks and then is pointed, and then they sort of proceed with a suicide plan, whatever it might be. Um, but 
for the person who's experiencing those feelings, the aloneness, feeling like a burden, feeling hopeless, um, unless they reach out, sometimes it's really not evident unless they've made a claim that, you know, I'm, Hey, I'm feeling alone. Hey, I don't, I don't really fit in here. Do I, am I giving anything to your world? Am I giving anything mm-hmm. to this world? And that's where our language should be, uh, be a reminder. So the people who's, who's hearing that message that this person's in a bad spot, maybe not suicidal, mm-hmm. but still in a bad spot and they're in need of help. And this is where, you know, that the support, the community really comes in, comes in play. Now, um, I don't, uh, it's kind of difficult because this listening audience is around the country and around the world. And so I can't say, you know, Hey, here's some resources for you that might work in your community. And so it's a good idea to know, uh, what's happening around you, whether that's professional supports through mental health, uh, whether that's religious supports, uh, whether that's family supports, whatever it might be, who's the people for like, if we think about person A and person B, <clears throat> person B is communicated a sense of aloneness or a sense of feeling like a burden to person A. Person A can support person B, but somebody needs to support person A, mm-hmm. if you know what I'm saying, right? And so I'll offer a couple of things that might work nationwide. First is the uh, there's a, su- a couple of suicide uh, crisis lines, which can be called not just for because I'm feeling suicidal, uh, also for other reasons, other feelings of crisis and other feelings of loss. And so the phone number for that is one eight hundred two seven three. 8255. It can also be uh, reached through text message or SMS message. Text the word TALK, T-A-L-K, to 741741. And also, I'll mention the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Uh, their website is afsp.org. Again, American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, afsp.org, uh, which has a number of resources for people who are experiencing the aloneness, experiencing the burdensomeness feeling like they want to die as well as for people who are trying to support people who are in that in that sort of circumstance for themselves these are good places to at least start right to start where you can get some help um you know i i've I've been in this circumstance with someone that's not part of the dance community but someone that i grew up with um and four years ago he committed um suicide and i was always the one he would call when he wasn't feeling so great and i was always able to make him feel better. Yeah. But this final time, um, I, I feel like, you know, you reach out, you reach out, you reach out. And if they want to, they're going to find a way to, it doesn't matter what you say to them. And, and how does someone like myself, cause it's still something that I deal with, yeah. um, you know, feel cause there's a ton of guilt. Like I could have done something else. I could have done yeah. more for, for him. And, and, um, how do we, how do we help people cope with that? Yeah, 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 and uh, Deborah, again, I'm very sorry for your loss, and it's clear that yeah. this um, continues to affect you, and it's exactly what I was talking about a second ago, uh, where the person who is the supporter may mm-hmm. feel like they didn't do enough, right? And and yeah, it's it can be really challenging to um, move beyond that. That that memory or that feeling is kind of with you, as with you as you go. Um, in truth, uh, you know, a person can only do so much. And there's this idea about, you know, you can't pour from an empty cup, right? And so when the individual you, relies on you in that moment, yeah, you provide the support for them. But this also means that, um, in that, in the next moment, 
the person who's providing the support goes out and get the support for themselves um, and then try to fill that cup back up. Um, and then there's a hole. There's a hole that's left and there's a hole uh, that's left for a lot of people. And there's the sense that, you know, he didn't do enough. And everybody's life goes as it does. And these become philosophical, philosophical questions, why it was that moment, right? And mm-hmm. one of the many unfortunate things about suicides, we can't interview the people after they're gone to find out why it was that moment and to find mm-hmm. out what could have been done differently and use that as a growth moment as opposed to, you know, this really negative experience for somebody. Right. And so, um, so I, I gotta say, I don't have a lot of immediate great answers right. for what, um, what can be done other than to say that, you know, they died and they died and you did as much as you could. And the one time it didn't work. Right. Right. And it's not you, Deborah. It's, it's just the one time it didn't work. Um, and maybe if things were different, then things would have turned out differently. Maybe they wouldn't have been right. Suicide and suicide prevention is a really, uh, important topic. And suicide is like the, is becoming the number one, uh, cause of death for people of younger age. It's a suppressed homicides, a suppressed accidents. Um, and in mental health, at least, we believe that it is a preventable form of debt, that this is something that we can do. Uh, to date, the most effective prevention methods have been around um, uh, diverting from means, um, things like uh, putting trigger locks on firearms, for example, mm-hmm. uh, just adds a few extra seconds where somebody can think to themselves, this is a final act, and I don't need to take this step, right? That there's some reason for me to be, whether that is the friend who I call and get support from, or whether that's my children, or whether that's my parents, or whether that's my community, whatever it is, these are all people who find me valuable, and maybe it just takes that second, and then they put the gun down. Then the next step is important, that they also go and get help for themselves. Right. Right. Whatever whatever form that might take. So, for communities... um that have experienced a loss, whether that's like our national community or a local community, it can be really difficult to go back to doing what we talked about before going and dancing with joy right? and all the positive feelings when you're feeling this loss, or even if it's not a personal experience for you, you're just mindful that other people are experiencing loss. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned that it's important to provide both emotional and practical support. Is there something that um, a community can collectively do or community leaders can do to help people transition back to finding joy in dance? Yeah. 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 So mm-hmm. uh, I think we're now talking with talking about those who are within the closer sphere to the person who may have died. Um, and everybody grieves in a different way. And I think it's, it's going to be very personal, very individual, what mm-hmm. they might need to come forward. But as friends within the community or as leaders within the community who may not have a personal relationship with the, uh, with the uh, bereaved, it's really important to check in and see, you know, where you're at, right? And what can be helpful for you, even if it's just like a friendly hello, right? To know that this is, that, that resource is available. Would you say it's okay that, you know, if you know that someone's, going through this in the community and you're, and you're really not uh, close to them, but you know what they're going through, that it's okay to go up to them and say, Hey, listen, I don't really know what's going on. I've, I've heard, but if, if there's anything that I can do for you, 
to help you feel better about being in the community, you can reach out to me at any time. Yeah. You know, everybody, uh, everybody has their own comfort level with that and mm-hmm. their own personal style of how they're going to do it. And so if that is something that you are comfortable with, then putting yourself that is there, something I am comfortable with. Yeah. 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 Then go for it. And I know Deborah, you'll do it in your, your particular yeah. style and that's how it'll go. Right. Right. Um, and, uh, on the other side, the bereaved really shouldn't feel bad about accepting, right? right? That, um, that it's easy to feel alone in death and it's easy to feel alone in loss. And the thing that helps with that is knowing that you're not right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So going back to how you were talking about in the dance, when we're dancing, we often get a lot of validation from our partner when we can have these mirrored experiences or shared experiences. There are also times not at the extreme of suicide or loss through death. Um, but there are times in the dance where it's not as positive. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about some of the ways within the dance itself, but also within the experience of being part of the dance world that might be, not positive, but stressful mm-hmm. or um, causes lack of confidence or self-doubt. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I'll talk about in, in any individual dance, it, it might be neutral, right? It might be that you didn't get that validation from your partner or vice, or vice versa mm-hmm. that you thought you were going to get. And the dance kind of went, there's three minutes and that's the end of that, right? Fine. That was three minutes. It didn't, it didn't quite, it wasn't joyful. It just was. And that's, you know, that's just time that's spent. There are times also, though, where the dance becomes particularly negative or confrontational, um, where, you know, the lead may have wanted a particular pattern to work and forced it, right? Mm -hmm. And now the follow has to dance defensively for the rest of the time for fear of of getting injured, right? right? Or it might be that that the pattern didn't go exactly. I'm going to pick on leads here because that's <laughs> what I do, right? right? Right, right, And that's what I understand. So it might be the pattern didn't go as planned and not, it wasn't forced, but the lead insists on leading the pattern over and over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, where for them, they might see it as practice for themselves, but the follow... Sees it as a control issue. Sees it as a control <laughs> issue, exactly. Right. It, becomes, it, becomes a, um, it becomes a one-way street, right. so to speak, right? And there's no empathy there. There's no understanding that what the lead is doing is impacting the emotional experience for the follow. Right. And we, we can't have the flip situation of a follower who doesn't pay attention to the no, leader. No, of course. Right. So the leader is trying to lead something. The follower is not validating or acknowledging mm-hmm. that lead for whatever right. reason. Right. right. And I, I think we've talked about this before where, you know, although, you know, dancing is supposed to be like this, this teamwork thing, that's how it should be. We end up being adversarial a lot on, yeah. on, on the social dance floor. And, and, why do you think that that happens between us when the objective is for us to work together? Yeah. And you know, uh, why does that happen? Uh, I'll go back to something I said before that all of us bring our life experiences into right. every moment. Right. And right. so, uh, again, speaking in generalities, not about anybody in particular, uh, maybe if there's control that's happening on the dance floor, maybe that control is happening outside the dance floor too. Mm-hmm. And this yeah. is just how that person runs their life. Yep. I say the can, same thing. Yeah. yeah. And we can talk about, uh, why control is needed in order, in order to manage anxieties about the world and 
et cetera, et cetera. And uncertainty is uncomfortable and so on and so forth, but maybe it's not particularly germane to the moment. Um, so, uh, so maybe that's what's happening there. Maybe, like I said, it's all well-intentioned and the person believes that this is a moment of practice, mm-hmm. right? This is a moment of learning. And so I should be doing this so I can learn how to lead it better. And that's the more kind of positive perspective on this. That's not, you know, not judgmental, not blaming, but you, in any moment, I think we all need to be aware of the other person's emotional life. Right. We need to, uh, and this is true in dancers, it's true outside of dance, that, you know, we're all, it's not that it's me, and then the rest of the world is a figment of my imagination that I get to manipulate. Right. right? That's a particularly extreme view of how the world works. We have to be um, mindful in general. Yes. Mindfulness yes, is important. Mm-hmm. Not just part of dance. mindfulness, part of mindfulness is operating with empathy. Right. Right. And then part of mindfulness is also operating in an open minded and open minded and curious way. So in that moment where the so one pathway, one way of thinking about, you know, a particular pattern that didn't work out correctly is, oh, I need to force it. I need to lead it better. So I should practice it, whatever it might be. An alternate way to think about it is to say, oh, well, that didn't work out that way. But here we have something else interesting that is happening. So I'm going to go with it. Right. And I'm going to see where it goes. It might be that the fall is going to take four beats and do something cool. Great. Maybe I can do that same cool thing the next time the music comes around. Right. right? Which, and now we come back to a validating experience. And also, I would say that they're being, you know, more aware because they're not hyper-focusing on that one move, mm-hmm. which kind of takes the, the partner out of the, the equation. Right. Because they're so focused on that one move. Right. 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 Yeah. Exactly. And it becomes a partner dance again. Right. 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 As opposed to being one individual and somebody who's another object that's attached to the end of their arm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so what about kind of just the pressures of being in a social Ooh. community? That's mm-hmm. a juicy one. <laughs> it is juicy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we like juicy. Yeah. Uh, even before we'll, we'll talk about competition. So before we even get to that right. world, mm-hmm. which has its own set of stresses, there's just a lot of things that happen within our community between people that can be stressful. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the people come to this dance and use this dance for a lot of different reasons. Um, and it might be that one person's reason doesn't fit, doesn't work for you. Right. In which case that person is not, not going to be part of your community. Right. 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 And so then you just have to draw those lines and make those boundaries. And there might be implicit boundaries where, you you know, you see them and you don't want to talk to them. Don't talk to them. Right. Or it might be that these are explicit boundaries, like stop talking to me, right. whatever mm-hmm. it might be, right? And then, uh, and then that's that's just how it needs to be for a little while until whatever's happening can be healed over, if it ever is going to be healed over. Um, the I've been a part of a number of different communities now and uh, watched this in other communities as well, and so I'll put something out there, and then I'd like to hear from the more experienced minds in the room as well mm-hmm. that. Um, when those little interpersonal schisms happen in a smaller community, it can be harder for the community to stick around mm-hmm. for it to persist. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. What yeah. do you think? Well, I mean, I think there are times when I want to leave the community myself because of things uh, like that. But my, my, it's me, to me, it's more important to stay part of the community and forge through anything that's not feeling great. Um, at the moment, because this is not just my job. This is my passion and people are important. 
mm-hmm. to me. This is why I do this job. So sometimes I deal with the uncomfortable as well as the comfortable and get through the uncomfortable because I know the comfortable's going to be down, you know, that, that road yeah. in a little bit. Yeah. Um, the commu- that the comfortable is worth it. Right. Right. That whatever's happening is small in comparison to the great benefit that could be there. Right. And sometimes I have to talk myself, you know, out of, cause I get frustrated sometimes with the dance community. Cause I, even though I love the community, sometimes I find it to be, um, uh, not sympathetic, not empathetic, you know, uh, everyone's so, um, caught up in their own, you know, stuff instead of recognizing that we, we need to come together as, as a group and we're all important mm-hmm. and, and, you know, connecting is, this is why the dance community is so great because we get to connect to so many people spend so much time on their phone and on their computer and, you know, nobody picks up the phone anymore to talk to anyone. They text. And this is a way to force us to kind of like connect. Mm-hmm. Uh, with each other um to have like in real life connection yes yes this is so important and i would i would agree with that in terms of like just to your point of individuals who cause rifts in a community and sometimes Mm -hmm. that's community leaders right um and sometimes it's just people who have yeah chip on their shoulder or don't behave appropriately within right. the, the norms of our community. Mm-hmm. Um, in all cases, I find it's exactly what you're saying, Deborah. People put self-interest over the interests of the community. Right. So sometimes that's a somebody who wants to be a pro, and they start something up that causes a divide in the community. Right. Mm-hmm. It, it forces people to make a choice between: Are you going to this thing? You're not going to right. this thing. You're part of that thing. You're part of this world. Um, other times, it's you know, it, it can be, if it, even if it's not a pro, and this is something that I've seen in many communities, um, in almost every community that's, that reaches a certain level with a certain diversity mm-hmm. is just either hierarchy, stratification, or monopolizing you know, what, we, what, what we call clicks. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. Which on the one hand seems totally natural. People go and they're, they, they have an affinity to certain people. They yeah. form certain groups, yeah. but it can start to feel like an invisible and unintentional boundary. Right. Um, so that's one thing that I'm currently grappling with, but I've seen in every community where there's a diversity, particularly around skill level. Yeah. Um, more so than other demographics. Yeah. Where they scoff at you if you're not the same level or if you're beneath them. Yeah. I think this is one of the coolest things about this dance is that, uh, not the, not the clicks, right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right, but, right. but, um, you know, you could be, uh, older, you could be younger, you could right. be heavy, you could be skinny, you could be of whatever race, mm-hmm. you could be gender non-conforming, whatever it is. If you dance, dance well, I'm happy to dance with you. Right. I'm happy right. to, and in that way, you know, we all walk around with our own biases. Um, and, uh, kind of stick around people who we have the same education or maybe the same race or whatever it is, right? This is a way for us to get introduced to people who are different mm-hmm. in a safe way because we've all established the norms that are there and established the way the dance should work. And there's a structure around it that makes it safe. Mm-hmm. But by meeting people who are, who are outside of us, different from us, it also gives an opportunity for us to challenge our own biases about what it means to talk to somebody who's of a different race or talk to somebody who's of a non-conforming gender, whatever it might be. Right. right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, so it's really cool in that way. Right. 
but it also means we care a lot about how well somebody dances. Right. And that's like the only thing, you know, someone could be whatever, whatever, you know, they dance poorly, they dance poorly. Right. Yeah. yeah but if um, they're, see, for me, it's not that because I guess maybe because it's my job, my job is to teach people, mm-hmm. right. How to dance and stuff. But you know, if I'm in the community and, and I see someone, you know, they, they just do it because they, they socially want to do it and they're having a great time and they ask me to dance. I'm not going to say no to them because right. they're not as good as I am. Right. So, uh, so Deborah, I think you're, uh, exemplifying the non hierarchical approach, right? Right. That the threshold for saying yes and the threshold for including somebody is low. Right. Mm-hmm. But, um, I think what Eric, what you were talking about before, uh, was about, uh, you know, how, how the schisms can generate little sub communities right. and little clicks that can be very hard to, uh, navigate, navigate, right. Yeah. Hard for somebody who's new to the community fit into sometimes yeah. it's not intentional so in other words there I realize are that lots of communities where if somebody came up to them they would say yes right but because they they primarily dance with and hang out with a select few people people find them hard to approach in the first place because they they perceive that there is a click right even if that's not the person's intention Right. Like the, per- if the person is not actively mixing with a diversity of people, they primarily hang out with a group. And again, that's totally normal. We all go out to hang out with our friends, mm-hmm. right? And our people who we like spending time with. Um, but I'm wondering if you have any thoughts, Divi, on how either one as an individual, we can help break that down, not let the perception of clicks or the, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. actual existence of clicks affect our own enjoyment of the dance. Mm-hmm. And then there's just something as a community that we can be more mindful about to help prevent that from happening. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so as community members, I think we need to be aware of the, uh, aware of ourselves and, mm-hmm. you know, that as individuals, we may be people who other people want to dance with. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, need to be open to that, right? Within bounds, like somebody who has been physically or emotionally assaultive, then no, that's a no, that's a hard no, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, for other people, the threshold is low. And, you know, personally speaking, I think this is how I try and, um, operate within my dance experience, both within our own dance that we have once a month and then also in other dances that I might go to around or convention weekends or whatever it might be. Um, uh, at the same time, uh, there needs to be a balance because I want to also talk to the people who are there and talk to my friends and hang out or whatever. Right. It be. right. And so then the construct of my time is uh, the amount of my time is divided between time when I'm available to dance and time when I'm not. And so when I'm not available to dance, then I'm have my back to the room. I'm on my phone. I might be far away from the dance floor, whatever right. it might be. And then when I'm available to dance, that's when I'm up on the floor, right? Asking people and eyes up, heads up, whatever it might be. Um, so as community members, I think that's a, that's a division that we can all have for ourselves, that this is time when I'm with my quote click or a group of friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is time that I'm available to dance this. And then, um, and then as community leaders, right, mm-hmm. then it becomes like if somebody's new to your community, then as a community leader, somebody who's more experienced within the community, it can be an opportunity to help to bring them in, mm-hmm. right, to introduce them around, right? And then um, also, like, if a little group is standing there talking to themselves and not dancing, 
right? This is a dance. Something could be done to bring them on the floor, whether that is as the DJ playing music that you know are going to get those people out of their little corner, right? Uh, or as a community leader going over there to ask somebody within that group to dance mm -hmm. so that that little dynamic can be changed in that moment. Well, I'll tell you something interesting that happened last weekend at Upstate Dance Challenge, which was a great weekend. But there was a moment where people were outside of the ballroom, like five or six people dancing with each other and not inside the ballroom, dancing with everyone else. And my first instinct, I walked out there and I said, hey, guys, the dance floor is inside and there's probably people who would like to connect with you and you're separating yourselves from everyone else. Yeah. And they, and they all looked at me like, oh, really? There's like people who like want to hang out with us. And so my, my, my concern is, is that I feel like there's, there's two different, you know, ways that people act in the swing dance community. They're either actively dancing on the dance floor or they're actively, you know, on their phone, you know, talking in a, in a, in a small group, but they're not actively like, like spreading the love of like mm -hmm. meeting new people and being, and trying to be, you know, inclusive. I try to make it a point of like when I'm at a, at a dance to kind of like, you know, walk, dance the room and, and also yeah. not just dance with people, but talk with people be like, Hey, so welcome to the community. What's yeah, your yeah. name? Um, yeah. so how do we make that happen more? Well, you can't have me just going out there being like, Hey people, come on, let's go. Yeah. I think something you said there was really um, kind of caught in my ear, uh, mm -hmm. which is that when you went outside, saw these people dancing by themselves and said to them, Hey, there's people inside who might want to dance with you. Right. Their reaction was, Oh really? It, it didn't occur to me that that might be the case. <laughs> right. And I think people forget, uh, we all have, um, a, a pic an internal picture of ourselves mm. that we walk around with. And, you know, uh, part of that picture for a lot of people is a sense that they're, they are who they were when they first started in this dance, mm. right? That they are the person who nobody wants to dance with, mm. right? And it's that internal insecurity or that quote imposter syndrome that people walk around with. And so it might make it so it's more comfortable for them to hang out with the people from whom they've already received a ton of validation, as opposed to trying to go out and validate other people, right? Um, and worry that what they're going to bring to that situation is not going to be well received. Yeah. Um, and I wonder, and this is pure conjecture at this point, but I wonder if this may be part of the thing, part of why, you know, little clicks form because it's safe. Right. Well, it's, it's, and it's less safe to go and talk with or dance with people you don't know. But that's the whole point of being part of a, a community to, to meet new people and interact. I mean, I make sure that after all of my classes, no matter where I'm teaching, that I remind people, let's not forget why we do this dance because it's fun. Right. Yeah. And then, and I, and I say, like, introduce yourself to other people, be kind to people, walk them off the dance floor, walk them on you know, the dance floor, don't take things personally. I, I remind them about the four agreements, yeah. you know, and, and, and all these things, because we, we, even though we're dancing, it, it, this is also part of life skills. I think dancing yep. helps us with life skills. Yep. Don't you think? It's a, out 150 minutes uh, there and was that two plus hours? So it's a little less than 166 hours outside of the dance floor on, mm -hmm. uh, on a given week. Right. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. what's learned if depending, depending on whether somebody comes to the dance with an interest in letting that experience change how they operate outside the dance floor. Right. As a, uh, this is my, my favorite psychiatry joke. Oh God. Right. <laughs> Let's how, see many, how many psychiatrists does it take to change a light bulb? 
How many? How many? One. But the light bulb has to really want to change. (laughs) (laughs) That's about right. And I like it because, you know, uh, therapy, dance, whatever we want to think about, has potential to change how we operate in the world. But we have to be ready for that change. Yeah. Right? Um, Yeah, it's back to how we operate in life. You know, if you want change, you have to be the change. Right? Yep. Yep. Exactly. So one thing, well, there's two things that come to mind. Um, one, one thing that we have talked about a lot on this podcast, <laughs> I shouldn't say a lot. We've talked about it. We talked about it with Tom and it came up again on our conversation with Shanti, mm-hmm. which is the sense of entitlement. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, what, what you and Deborah are both talking about to me is this sense of community, the sense of a collective. Mm-hmm. Right. But there is also, particularly these days, a sense of entitlement, which is very self-oriented. Right. Right. I deserve this. I am entitled to this. I can take this. Um, how does that affect this whole dynamic? Like, how do we get more of a collective mindset when there is this self-interest at right. work? Right. Oh, that's a tough one, right? Again, you can't like change somebody, right? But I'm Mm -hmm. wondering, is there a way we can foster the conditions that make somebody more amenable to that change? Right. So, uh, so, um, I think individual success is something that's rewarded in much of the rest of this community. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm talking like exclusively about what we do, what we value in the United States. And I think that things are different if we look at other parts of the world. Uh, where, yes. where perhaps community success is as valuable mm-hmm. or even more valuable, um, in comparison to individual success. And so if what we are shaping everybody to chase after is individual success, it's a current that the dance community really has to fight against, right? Right. Where we are all individuals, but we bring our rest of the world, rest of our lives into the dance, dance floor, onto the dance floor and into the dance community. And so, um, so it's a real challenge unless the people who are coming are agreeable to trying something different. Mm-hmm. As we were talking about earlier, that there is big advantage to being part of a community, yes. right? Both in a practical sense and, and an emotional sense and so on. And so if someone is too much of an individual has taken too much from the community, uh, then there's potential for their ostracism. That, you know, yeah, we, we did that for a little while. We don't want to do that anymore. So you are not, you're going to be excommunicated as the term might be. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, uh, that maybe is one way to, for an individual to maintain motivation to balance what they take with what they give. Right. Right. <clears throat> um, and, uh, in doing that balance, it makes it so the community remains available to them over time. Um, there's, Also, again, now switching to a research mode, there's also research that suggests that people who give and receive thanks for what they give have uh, similar health benefits in comparison to similar mental health benefits in comparison to people who take take and are are validated in their grief or validated in their loss or whatever it might be, Mm -hmm. right? That so it's not like this is a purely altruistic thing, right? Where an individual needs to completely shift to being a hundred percent giver. There's some benefit to being, um, supportive of other individuals, 
Sure. Right. Um, so from purely selfish perspective, maybe something that's worth doing. Yeah. Then how do we shape a community to have as people who are balanced or people who are givers, right? Um, and not have, uh, not have an excess of takers. It really starts with starts from the top, right? And like you said, Deborah, the, this is valid material for a class. Mm-hmm. Right. That as you complete the class, say, you know, this is, this is how we do things. Or, um, the, um, Boogie by the Bay has uh, a code of conduct. Right? I think Mission mm-hmm. City has a code of conduct as well. Mm-hmm. And so this is something that can be written into that and then uh, displayed and championed so that people who walk in the door who might be new understand that this is how things operate here. This is right. how things work. Right. And, uh, it gives them a moment to be different. You know, they're consumers too. And if, it doesn't work for them, then they will, they will go do something else. And this mm-hmm. is for the benefit of everybody else. Nobody wants a community of takers. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Mm-hmm. So one other thing before we jump into competition, cause that's kind of continues that, that's through line mm-hmm. of self-interest and how we measure success, um, is dealing with introverts. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I know I'm an extrovert. That should be apparent from this show, <laughs> but, um, but I know we do have introverts who, yeah. um, need to find ways to cope with being in a, in a very extroverted world, right. Mm-hmm. Where like you're expected to interact with a lot of people. Yeah. What are some ways for one introverts to be in this collective space, but also for us as a community to make space for them? Right. 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 So, um, introversion, extroversion. Uh, there's an idea that these are absolute concepts that, um, people who are extroverts are extroverts always and people who are introverts are are. not true. Not true. It's all situational and relational. Yes. I was actually going to say, I'm I'm actually, and this is not good for me as a community leader, but I'm introverted when it comes to meeting new people. Uh uh (laughs) I'm an introvert extrovert. Right. And so in a particular circumstance, it might be that you are the most extroverted person in the room mm-hmm. or in a particular circumstance, you are the most introverted person in the room. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I go to a lot of professional meetings and uh, I'll tell you that as I started out, I was uh, introverted. I just wanted to hang out with the people who, who I knew from other things. And then slowly my world grew and now people it's easy. You know, I just talk to whoever I want to talk to and it's really mm-hmm. no problem. So, um, so that's another sort of comment about sort of the evolution of this over time. Right. Um, so if somebody is coming to a dance, they are choosing to come, mm-hmm. right? Which and I'm talking about like a weekly dance, right? They're choosing to come. And so they have decided that in that moment, they need interpersonal contact and they need that connection. They're choosing to be extroverted, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I don't think there's a ton to worry about in that circumstance, unless something happens that evening they run into somebody who's traumatic for them or have a traumatic experience on the dance mm-hmm. floor or whatever it might be where that, where that might flip and they want to go and, um, manage things, manage their emotions, do some self-soothing, whatever it might be. Right. Then, uh, the friends who are there can check in with them, see how things are going because they've chosen to come and be extroverted, but there's something else that's happening. And so it might not be a dance they need at that moment. It might be, they need the interpersonal connection. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we get to dance weekends, we're now talking about long durations of time, right? right? Mm-hmm. And it's a little different. Like, you know, somebody who feels extroverted might last for a couple hours, go to the dance, we're good, right? And then they go home and then the rest of the week, they might be introverted, who knows? But over a dance weekend, there's um, 
enough time where someone can go from one mode to another and have enough experiences over that weekend uh, where uh, it might change, right? Yeah. It mm-hmm. might be that, you know, they went down to the ballroom, they thought this was going to be great, and it just wasn't working for them. Right. And they need a moment outside. So there's nothing wrong with taking a break for yourself, right? Maybe go back to your hotel room or go to somewhere else in the in the hotel, gym, pool. I mean, I do that as a pro. Whatever. Yeah, you need a minute to not be there, right? To like to, to, to recharge your batteries. Mm-hmm. You know, it takes, you know... Being in a large group like that, dancing and talking and and being emotional and you know, because sometimes we're in the ballroom and you're t- you're consoling your friend and they're crying because they had a you know rough day. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And you want to give everything you possibly can, and then you you need that moment to like take take time for yourself so that you can be there for others. Right. Right. Absolutely. Right. So this is this is advice for life and not just for dance sure, again, right. not to be construed as professional advice. I'm not treating anybody over the podcast here. Right. Uh, but you know, everybody needs to have a plan for mm-hmm. how they can manage their emotion state when things go south. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's a lot easier to think about that plan when people are like normal emotion state or feeling positive about things, right? Have it, write it down, have an uh, app, know that your go-to game on your phone is whatever it is, mm-hmm. right? And then use that as a moment where you can recharge. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. I do that a lot. So I can be there for others. Yeah. yeah. Because it's a demand, you know, being a professional is a little bit more demanding than just being part of the social community. Yep. For sure. I, I wear different hats, you know? Yeah. Well, we've it, talked about, like, how we have to be on all the time. Yeah, it's hard. You know, as much as I love running a weekly dance, I am definitely tired at the end of the yeah. night. And I, yeah. I need that time to recharge my 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 app, yeah. quote unquote, is my yeah. TV. Yeah. <laughs> I will vegetate in front of the couch. Right. Yeah, that's what so, I do. You know, you know, and I'm an I'm a I'm a huge empath, so for me, things are I take things. Same. Yeah. You know, the energy of the room affects us. A yes, lot. deeply. Um, and I and I don't want that to affect other people because I'm being affected by it. So I make sure that I I go somewhere where I can like you know shake it off or recognize what's actually happening so that I can. I can be present and sometimes I can't shake it off. So I stay in my room until I can. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so Deborah, I just want to make sure that we're on the same page about language. When you say you're an empath, I understand that to mean that it's easy for you to experience the emotions of other people. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if you have not experienced the thing they're going through. Yes. Right. Yes. And you yes. know, this goes back to, um, the importance of empathy in the stance, right? Mm-hmm. That, uh, you have to connect to the person across from you and connect to the song you have to connect to the spot in the dance floor, you have to connect to all these things. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you know, on the flip side, as an audience member, I think, uh, watching people who can display the emotion well also makes it so that I connect to them. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I think that's one of the cool things about this dance is that it gives a space who have gives a space for people who have, a really good capacity for empathy to really grow and thrive and mm-hmm. flourish. But the downside of that is that when things go badly, right, mm-hmm. then there needs to be a lot more for the person mm-hmm. to, uh, a lot more for the person to be able to recharge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let's shift gears then to talking about competition <laughs> um, <laughs> because that is a big source of stress, a lot of emotions, Big part of the community. Yeah, it's both Mm -hmm. uh, a source of confidence and a source of self-doubt and insecurity. Right. Um, 
what are some of the ways that competition does affect us from like a professional standpoint and mm-hmm. some of the ways that we can deal with that? Right. So competition is, as I was saying this before, competition is this great motivator, right? Mm-hmm. That uh, it gets people to think about how their dance can change and how it can evolve and moves them from that unconscious incompetence phase to more of a conscious phase. And they progress through it with coaching, feedback, and these sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but it's double-edged. Oh, I should add one other thing. Competition also provides a venue for somebody to work through some of their own anxieties. Mm-hmm. Right? right. Where, uh, you know, in my training, we always talked about anxiety. The flip side of anxiety is courage. Mm-hmm. Right. And that if someone's never anxious, they never have the opportunity to feel courageous. Uh, and, uh, being on the competitive floor is an, is an opportunity for that. Right. And it's an right. opportunity to have some success, to have a win. And everybody needs wins. Everybody needs to know that they did something good. Right. Ex- validation. The, ex- the external validation that comes from yeah. it. Um, it's double edged though. Right. Because we have this, uh, this expectation for ourselves. And, uh, there can only be one winner, right? Right. <clears throat> there can be only, you know, 10 spots in finals, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And that if that expectation of yourself in that moment is not met, it can be, uh, soul crushing. Right. It can be a big downer on the day. It can be a big downer on the weekend, uh, and make it so that, um, what had been a joyous activity where you can be extroverted and engaged and so on and so forth, mm-hmm. cause somebody to, that experience can cause somebody to really start pulling into themselves. And if that happens weekend after weekend after weekend, start to question whether this activity is even for you. Mm-hmm. Right. I've had this happen. Yes. With yeah. students. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so then how do we deal with that? Well, first thing I would suggest is that, um, a little bit of stress is good because it promotes learning, but a lot of stress for a long time, not so good. And so, uh, it's then about shaping our lives so we can be more resilient to stress. Things like making sure that uh, the usual body rhythms are followed, like people are eating appropriately, sleeping appropriately, um, engaging in meaningful work outside of the dance, right? So mm-hmm. that if something's not working in the dance and there's something else you can point to and say, hey, at least this is working for me. Right. Right. Um, and it doesn't have to be meaningful paid work. It could be meaningful, whatever it is you're doing, something that brings value and meaning to your being. Um, and then, uh, the social contact that was, we we're talking about before that when somebody's feeling down, that having people around who can help them feel a little bit better about their circumstance is really good. I gave that one bit of advice earlier about having a plan. And I think this is where that plan is really important. Because when the soul crushing experience of not seeing your name on the callback list, right, happens, mm-hmm. is not the right time to figure out how you're going to manage that, mm-hmm. right? And you should so do have that plan beforehand. Have that plan yeah. beforehand, right? And so when you get to the weekend and you don't see a name on the list, you already know that you're going to go spend 45 minutes in your room watching TV and then uh, internally complaining about your whole life, right? Right whatever it might be, or that, you know, when things are down, this is when you're going to call a family member or call a friend outside the dance community mm-hmm. and say, Hey, I'm having a hard time. Right. Whatever, right. whatever it might be. Right. What I think is important, by the way, about what you're saying, because this has come up in conversations that I've had with people is that a lot of times somebody maybe doesn't calibrate their expectations. And so mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. they're going to be disappointed, right? right? Like just looking at the odds and how competition works, people think, well, if I compete and I do well, I should make finals and win, right? Or make finals, whatever right. it is. Mm-hmm. And so people get upset um, because they want it and they don't get it, mm-hmm. right? Even if their expectations are, I'm not going to make finals, but you still want it, right? Right, and you get upset, and that's okay. Um, but there are times where people will say, well, you shouldn't be upset. Right. Right. Which isn't validating not their validating. experience. No. And it's not validating their feelings. Mm-hmm. And I think what you said is important that if you want this and you don't get it, you will probably be upset. And yep. That's okay. That's okay. Have a way to manage it. Right. Have a, have something you're going to do. Right. I also um, think it's important to, to, to put things into perspective though, because when, when, when I talk to my students that, that get upset and everything, I try to say to them, listen, you know, competition is not an easy thing. It's a completely different skill set than social dancing. And when you compete, if you put yourself in the mindset that when you're dancing, you put, you give every judge the right to put you in last place and you think of it that way, then no matter what the outcome is, it seems a little bit more, um, the blow is not so hard, I feel like. Right. And also, you know, people do this because it's fun and they have a, they have a goal. Right. Mm -hmm. But I I try to say to them, remember that this competition is not what defines you as a person. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's just one thing in this journey. Right. right? So that changes it. But I think that sort of emphasizes a really important point, right? Which is that, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, competition can be considered a summative assessment of somebody's success at this skill, mm-hmm. or it can be considered as an, one more step in this journey. And we don't actually know where the end point's going to be. Right. And that way it becomes a formative assessment, right? That, uh, okay, so I put this out there and it didn't work out, which makes me feel bad because now I'm consciously competent of my, my, my incompetence, mm-hmm. right? Consciously right. aware of my incompetence. Mm-hmm. Um, but then this is where you can sort of take that video to a coach or take that experience to a coach and say, Hey, what, what, what can I do can to I, be better? What can I do, right? How do I move this so I can feel good and so I can succeed, right? right? A lot of times, you know, uh, one one thing is, one thing I like to think about is that, like, when somebody has said to themselves, I am good, right? Mm-hmm. That That is an absolute statement. And that means that there is no possibility of being better, right? And I think that sort of, and Eric, I've heard you talk about this before, about the growth mindset. And I think that phrase really... So it exemplifies that, that, um, when somebody is always working on being better, mm-hmm. right? There's, doesn't, there's no point at which you say, I can stop. Right. 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 That, uh, you know, just take your minute because you're feeling bad. Right. Right. Take your minute, take your hour, take your half day, whatever it is, right? Whatever you're going to need. And then come back to it with a recommitment to the activity, right? right? A recommitment to improving one's situation here and move along. And I think, Deborah, the the point you made about the competition being just one piece of this activity, right, right is really important. That um, that a, there's a, still a lot of benefit, a lot of positivity to be had mm-hmm. outside of the app competition afternoon or whatever it is, right. And I'll tell you for myself, there are sometimes when I say to myself, "I'm not competing this weekend." I don't know. I paid the money to go there, and I have the possibility of getting points, whatever, whatever. But isn't it's not my time. It's not the right situation for me to try and chase those points. The points don't define me. Right? No, right? but there's a lot of people that, you know, I, I have a lot of uh, therapy sessions with a lot of people after competition. They always come to mm-hmm. me. Um, and I, and I, I say to them that, you know, 
Points are not that important. They're just important to get out of a division, but it doesn't define you who you are, who you are as a person. Right. And I, I try to make, put things into perspective and, and say to them, Hey, listen, I do this for a living. This is what I do for my job. So competition is part of how I make my living. And sometimes I don't place and I don't make a final. So yeah. if it happens to me, who would, and I work on my craft all day, every day, I still work on it. But I, I don't, I don't make it so that I, I feel bad about who I am as a person because I have so many other things that are so great in the dance community. Right. Right. It is challenging because our community is very competition oriented in the sense that, like, I have some students who, um, well, there's two, two parts of it. One is I have students who maybe wouldn't otherwise compete who feel like they need to. Right. And the other part that I think is challenging for people and, and why they get upset is that, unfortunately, mm-hmm. it's been my experience that the competition aspect spills over into our social aspect. Yep. Mm-hmm. So this gets back to what we were talking about before, that how you do in competition can determine who wants to dance with you or who's open to dance with you on the oh, social where you, part. Where you and live in the social part of it. Right. Yeah. And like, not that that's a good thing or a right, right thing, but it is happening. And I think the things that you're both saying about, you know, keeping perspective, understanding this is part of a journey, Mm -hmm. um, I think are correct, but also can be hard. Yes. (laughs) Can be hard to actually feel right. When you feel like I didn't do well and I feel like not only did I not do well in competition, but there can be consequences for that in terms of my social experience. Right. 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 And I've heard this in this podcast and I've heard this in other places that the points, uh, the point system really transformed West Coast Swing. Yes. And it has really changed for the positive and for the negative. Right. Right. right? Has contributed to its growth in um, measurable and immeasurable ways, but also makes it so that we have this hierarchical system around a visual aspect of the dance as opposed to around a feeling aspect of the dance. Right. And in the end, the social dance people are watching you on the social floor because, you know, might be making decisions about whether they want to dance with you, whether you look safe or these sorts of things, mm-hmm. right? Kind of judging that book by its cover, if you will. Yeah. Uh, but in the end, it's those three and a half minutes with somebody else. And whether that was a, you know, a nice, connected, mindful, uh, welcoming, supportive experience or, you know, or uh, it's not like you're showing off in that moment. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you talked about sort of having a plan to deal with these negative emotions, maybe other people to talk to and commiserate. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of at the individual level mm-hmm. of how we can manage this uh, when we don't do well. Um, but we also talked about how if this is repeated over and over and over. It can really erode our right. confidence. It can be overly stressful. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, what is what are some of the factors that lead to that? Like how do people sort of be mindful of going down that path? Right. And be mindful of how it's affecting their confidence or self-worth. Right, right, right. And, um, actually I had one thought about the prior point, which I'll Mm -hmm. make, uh, it's not just a plan for when you don't do well, but also a plan for when you do do well. well. Mm -hmm. Sure. Right. It's about being a gracious winner too. Absolutely. Right. Right. That, um, you know, it can be very easy within a, within a small like group of friends or maybe people rooming together, whatever it might be, where one person 
did well in their contest and the rest right. of the room didn't. Yeah. Uh, right. There. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been I've been there too. <laughs> yeah. I think it's I, important to to recognize that you should you should um be joyous for someone who's done well mm-hmm. even though you haven't. Mm-hmm. Right? And and be uh, you know empathetic to someone who hasn't done well when you have. Mm-hmm. It's it's ha- you have to wear both hats. Both hats. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Now, now back to the uh, the question about you know repeated lack of success in the competitive environment, right? And I think this is where having a good coach, um, and I'll tell you, I'm one of these people who had repeated lack of success <laughs> in a competitive environment. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, so this is where having a good coach and somebody you look up to in the scene and trust their opinion can be right. really, really valuable. Um, because it gives you a forum in which to, uh, in which to take those experiences and then use that to try and do better, right? Mm-hmm. Or to adjust your own expectations for where you need to be and decide for yourself whether continued participation in the activity in this way is what's for you, right? right? It might be that there's so much going on in your life at the moment that practicing on a regular basis is just not, not happening not happening. So then you have to decide, okay, well, I'm going to, am I going to be the type who's going to sort of plateau for the moment and go out social dancing from time to time when I can and come back to it in a different way, mm-hmm. uh, come back to it in a, in a more um, uh, time committed way in a future point in time? Or is this kind of what my reality is going to be? And I, you know, you can't answer that. I can't answer Everyone's that. Everyone's different. Everybody's right. different. Right. Uh, but having somebody you can talk to about it, Right. And talk about that, not just on like, oh, where does my foot go or where's my, how's my posture or so on and so forth. It's like talking about on that level is really, really valuable. Well, and I feel like my job as a teacher, I try to play both teacher and coach, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm teaching you how to dance, but I am mindful of my students. um, And if they choose not to compete, I say, there's no reason you have to, right? Mm -hmm. Like you can still be a good dancer and people want to dance with you. Mm -hmm. Um, Although again, I've had some students say, well, that's not entirely true. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. that hasn't been their experience, which is another issue. Um, But I feel like getting back to what we talked about before, like it's my job as a teacher to help develop a growth mindset. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. my job to help them set goals that aren't dependent on all the things they can't control. Right. Mm -hmm. Like your partner, your music, the the, the judges, your scores, the outcome, like, you know, you said earlier that the idea at the extreme, we can sometimes think we're like master of the universe. Right. And the fact is, is that the only thing you, you know, Brandy said, the only thing I control is what I wear that day. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Like, so I feel like my job in a lot of ways is to help uh, people develop goals and metrics of their success that have nothing to do with right. the outcome right. of the competition. Right. Yep. And I think it's, it's, it can still be challenging. It can still hurt. It can still sting when you don't do well or mm-hmm. you don't do the way you feel you should. Mm-hmm. I have some students and myself included uh, as a, somebody who will go into competition and be like, you know what? I crapped out. Yep. Like that was not a good day. Yep. Um, but honestly, those are so much easier to take than when you feel like you did well or you did your best and you're not validated externally. You know what? I, I feel like good advice to students is, which I often give them when, when they're consecutively, um, being beat down, feeling like they're not doing well in competition. They don't place and they, or they don't final or, or they don't make the top 10 or whatever I say to them. I say, why not take a step back a little bit? Cause, cause now, now your self-esteem has been bruised a little bit. 
Mm-hmm. I said, take, take a step back. Don't compete a couple of events. Build up your self-esteem again. Enjoy social dancing. Connect with people more. And then go back into competition and see how you feel. Because you keep going back into competition feeling terrible about yourself. Yep. But if you go back into competition, like your feathers have like opened up a little bit. And you're like, oh, I feel good about mm-hmm. myself. Chances are you'll do better in the competition. Right. That's the irony is that like confidence is a big part of presentation yes, and of how you're evaluated in, right. in a dance. Like right. you said, Divya, like competition is a, a visual thing. I'm watching you dance mm-hmm. and evaluating mm-hmm. where you're at. Um, so, yeah. And, and I'll say uh, this we talked about when we talked about finding your place in our first episode that like I have stepped away from competition for long stretches sure. of time. As of and, I. you know, and you said, Divi, like there are times you go to an event and you're like, I don't feel like it. And I'm yep. going to, I'm not going to lie people. I had a way better weekend when I wasn't right. competing yep. in yeah. the sense of like, I don't have to be in the ballroom at a time. I don't have to get mm-hmm. dressed up. I don't have to pay attention to when I'm eating and yep. no how pressure. I'm sleeping. And like, I can just be there and cheer for my friends and have a good time. And every time I've come back onto the dance floor, the competitive dance floor after being away, it was exactly what you said, Deborah. I just felt better about myself. Yes. Yeah. And it gets back to, I think also what you said earlier, Divi, about how, you know, who we are off the dance floor is intricately linked with who we are on the dance floor. Yep. And something else that I think people should pay attention to, especially as they're competing and experiencing that stress is one, how are they feeling off the dance floor? Mm-hmm. So are you struggling with your job? Maybe that's affecting how you're right. doing competition right. Right. and vice versa. If you're feeling bad about competition, how is that, might, how, how is that potentially affecting you right. off the dance Absolutely. floor? Yeah. You know, we talk about in organization development, we talk about like, work life balance, mm-hmm. right? Or work family mm-hmm. conflict. It's all connected. And we talk about um two things, spillover and crossover. Mm-hmm. Right? So spillover is like when the stress of of one realm affects you in the other realm. And um yeah, I I see the same thing happen right. in dance. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you so good advice is like if you're feeling bad about what's going on, you like check in with yourself and like what can I do to like give myself a better day today or what can I do? What can I do for me? That makes me feel good. Like maybe getting a massage or going right. to yoga or going to play chess with friends or something like that and pull yourself out of the dance thing for a moment or pull yourself out of the work situation right. for a moment. So you can recharge your batteries, recharge right. and then yes. come back with a new and fresh commitment. Right. Yeah. A right. new outlook, new outlook. I think yes. something else too. I, I, I feel like, so, cause I just mentioned spillover where like one aspect of your life affects the other, but crossover is where it jumps between people. Mm-hmm. And I think one thing to be mindful of, and, and we talked about this already here with, with dealing with loss, we talked about it in our episode with Shanti, um, is that if you're being the support for other people who are down about competition, like yeah. you need to find a way to take care of yourself so that it doesn't cross over that other right. people's negative emotions don't, don't bring, bring you, down. you down. Yep. Um, so that's also just putting that out there that those people too also need to recharge themselves and take yes. care of themselves. But just, um, we just talked about how it's hard to accept things that are like out of our control. Uh-huh. Um, and what we don't understand. Um, and that's competition. Yeah. Right. That's competition. Compared I don't know why the judges gave me that score. Yeah. And, you know, the, the numbers don't mean anything anyway, really. Like, you give me a 5, a 6, a 12, a 9. I don't know what that means. Right. And it's hard to understand. Like, I think the biggest reaction I hear from competitors after they compete, if they're upset with the results, is like, well, why did 
why didn't I make finals? Yeah. Or like, yeah, why right. did that person make finals? Right. Or And we didn't talk about that too, the comparative. Yeah. That people compare themselves. And that's, you know, a huge downer. It's one of the reasons why social media is such a downer of like right. comparing your life to somebody else's. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot in there. There's a lot there. Too. There's a lot there. Yeah, but that, I think that's something about like what that says about yourself. Like, it doesn't occur to me to compare myself to others. I, I'm working on myself. It's a, it's enough to deal with myself. Now I have to worry about how someone else is and <laughs> compare myself to them. I'm more yeah. worried about like, am, am I doing the right thing? Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? That's but just I too much to worry about. It's um, I I agree. It's also when people are personally invested in it. Yeah. Right. Like, and they they do see it not as a reflection of their ability, but of who they are. Right. Right. They conflate the two. Mm-hmm. That it becomes it becomes personal. It's mm-hmm. you know when somebody else does something or says something or treats them a certain way, like it becomes personal because dance is personal. You know, you've said sure. this a lot, Deborah. That like it is personal. It's about putting yourself sure. into it, and um, yeah, it just I think makes us more sensitive to that like we're already sensitive to how we do on an academic test right right but it's easier to see that as a reflection of your knowledge versus mm-hmm. who you are right and right. it's really easy to conflate the two in our right community. Yeah, yeah. right right how, how you are as a dancer and who once you are as a dance person. becomes part of the identity then that part right. that identity is being challenged in those and that's moments why I where try somebody to tell is people don't do that yeah yeah, it's, yeah try not to but again easier said than no, I know, but but I think it's important to to reinforce and, and remind them. Absolutely, this is not who you are. Remind yourself, this is not who you are. Mm-hmm. You're more. You're more than this. This yeah. is just a little part of what is in your life. It's not who you are, right? right? Like I love dancing. It's my passion, but it's not who defi- It's not what defines me as a human. Right. Right. That's just part of me a little bit. There's so much more to me than just dance. Yep. Yeah. That- and that's that's part of my my uh, pep talk is yeah. Not only is it not who you are, but like, again, you should be doing dance because you love it. Right. Right. And like, this should be a joyous thing in your life. And just like you said, Dibby, it's two and a half hours of your time. When people, when people come away from a dance event and I say, how was the event? Inevitably, always, the first (laughs) thing they tell me is how they did in competition. Right. Instead of going, I listen to them. Yeah, or I did. I made finals, or I didn't make finals. Like that's their first right. response. Yeah, and then after they say that, I'll listen to their story, acknowledge it, and then I'll say, "Okay, how but that was, was the like event? that was like two hours out of your weekend. So how was the rest of it? Right, right. right? How was right. the social dancing? How was it catching up with friends? Were mm-hmm. things run on time? Did right. you like the atmosphere? Did you go did to you a did... cool workshop? Right, yeah. right. What did you think about that Jack and Jill? Whatever it was, right? But, Watching yeah. it, right. But just that reaction of how was your weekend? And the first thing they say is whether they made finals or didn't. And I think um, part of that is too how they go into the weekend. Like, I, I, oh, even absolutely. though this, this is my job, what, what I go into the weekends with, I can't wait to hang out with my friends. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to meet new people. Excited to hear what music I'm going to hear and, mm-hmm. and, and stoked about teaching. Yeah. I don't go into the weekend going, oh, God, no, I got to teach another workshop. Oh, God, no, I got to compete. And, oh, my God, what if I don't get first place? Right. And I think that's what happens a lot. People go into the weekend negative or ready. Yeah. And, then, and then they manifest that outcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And or people, uh, I do find that, um, you know, as we talked about, that this experience can erode people's confidence. They start, it's like a drug. They start becoming... Yeah. Especially, so, you know, we talked about people who repeatedly don't make finals. Right. 
what's almost worse is people who make finals a lot and mm-hmm. then don't. And then don't. Because every time they make finals, they like develop an, an it's ego. Like an addiction. Yep. Well, it's almost like an addiction yep. to the, I do this, I get a reward. Yep. Right. And yep. so when they don't, all of a sudden it's like, my world has come down because I was on this path. Right. That damn Pavlov um, dog. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, but that's kind of what's happening. And it's, yeah. It can be really hard for people who have had success to suddenly not have it. Mm-hmm. And then I have to tell them, well, welcome to the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where, the same like, people you meet on the way up are the same people you meet on the way down. Yeah. <laughs> so you you got to be consistent. <laughs> be kind. Be kind. Yep. Yes. Yeah. To yourself. And rewind. To I'm just kidding. So um, we've talked about social dancing, talked about competition. Mm-hmm. Um, just want to sort of step back again and look at, you know, how can we as a community, both individually and collectively, um, create a more positive and enjoyable experience yeah. for people? Yeah. You know, we, we talked about some things like uh, coaching and teaching as a way of, of both setting norms around a collective mindset, yep. growth Starting mindset. Starting from the top. Yep. All of that. Um, you know, being supportive as a community, when people suffer a loss or when they are down, reaching out, right. kind of thing, right. being mindful of clicks. Are there other things that we can do, either as community leaders or members of the community, to help create a more positive and enjoyable experience? Yeah. So I think kind of linking up, kind of danced around this a little bit, haha, pun intended, uh, <laughs> on, the, on the prior point, right, about um, how the competition scene and the points that somebody has, how the WSDC points somebody has, has a way of constructing a hierarchy outside of the competition Mm -hmm. and uh you know it's a pyramid not everybody can be at the top right right you can't always quote can't always dance with quote better dancers than you yeah right and i think it's having that understanding uh both for the people who are at the top of the pyramid and people who are not Mm -hmm. at the top of the pyramid um having that understanding that the points do not generate do not exclusively generate somebody's value within the community and then being aware of that in every moment as we go around, yeah. right? That you might have a fantastic dance, a fantastic connected emotional dance with somebody who is not of your competition tier. You right. might have a completely garbage dance with yeah. somebody who is, right? And these things are all possible in any one night, any one weekend. Um, and that's a way to make the community, having that awareness is a way to make the community I think more positive and enjoyable for everybody. Just having awareness in general, I think mm-hmm. just not in dance and life. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sort of a shameless self-promotion, but on my blog, <laughs> I wrote uh, on nakedbasics.com and I can post the link as our footnote. Uh, I just wrote a, a piece cause it was on my mind. That's I think called, it's not all about you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think it's really easy. And I don't think it's always an intentional selfishness. I think our drive to improve um, so that one, we have greater enjoyment of our dance, but also I improve so that I can also offer my partners a better experience right. in the dance, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that's that's kind of how I try to motivate my students is like, don't you want other people to also have a good time? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in the pursuit of that, we can forget that we're dancing with somebody else. Right. Um, I see this happen a lot, um, in, in even local dance communities, but also at events where people are sort of so focused on working on something, quote unquote, that the other person at the other end of their arm is like, hello, hello, I'm, I'm, I'm still here. here. Right. Are you paying attention to me? Um, and I think it's really important that 
we keep in mind that this this is a partner dance. Like the joy of not just keeping a uh, being mindful of the collective of our mm-hmm. community, but also even in the moment of a dance. You know, like you said, the validation of I I heard you. Right. And I acknowledged what you right. said, both partners. Mm-hmm. Um, I mirrored you. I went along with it. I gave you space when mm-hmm. you asked for it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's those, like having a good conversation. Absolutely. Those little moments of, uh-huh. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> so important. Um, and that something I try to remind my students of as well is, you know, if you want to be the person that everybody wants to dance with, uh-huh. they need to enjoy dancing with you. Right. Yeah. They need to feel good in right. that experience. Right. So, yes, work on your technique and your partnership and your musicality so that you can offer a better experience, but you also have to recognize what other people are offering you. Right. And work on your right. joy of being a good human. Yes. Because that'll trickle into your dancing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Divi, for yeah. sitting You were down great. Absolutely. That was fantastic. Yeah. 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 Really fun. Really enjoyed it. Really appreciate the depth and <laughs> of yeah. experience and expertise yeah, that yeah. you bring to it. And for sure. It's great that you have this marriage of the professional expertise and uh-huh. the dance experience. Yeah. You've been and you're part of our community. Yeah. We're yeah. very lucky to have you. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You really know. Can I, can I make one shout out for people who helped me get on this path? For sure. Sure. So Miguel and Sarah D'Souza. Yeah. Oh, I love them. Yeah, Miguel, uh, dance coach for me and for other people in the um, Stanford area mm-hmm. uh, for a number of years. Uh, and Sarah, who is a, a trained psychotherapist. Yes, she is. Uh, the two of them uh, started to talk about and think about um, concepts of mindfulness and therapy within the dance mm-hmm. and sort of brought me into this way of thinking. Yeah. yeah so that's shout great. out to them. High fives through the High hours. fives. Yeah, they're both awesome. Yeah. They're great people. Yes. Uh, if people want to reach you, what's the best way to do that? If they have questions, um, or... yeah, uh, I'm on Facebook, so feel free to message me there. Um, Divi Ravindranath, I'm sure I'll be tagged on this when it goes mm-hmm. up. So that's uh, probably the best way to reach me for people who don't know me. Of course, people who know me have other ways to do that. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Say your last name again because I love it. Ravindranath. Ravindranath. I love it. <laughs> like a fine automobile. That's what I said earlier. It sounds like a new yep. car. Deborah was like, it's like an amazing car. I'm going to go get my Ravindranath. Yes. Go for a vacation. Yes. Drive down the coast. It's um, great because I get to come on that vacation. That's right. <laughs> All the time. Uh, if listeners want to share their thoughts and reactions with us, and we hope you do, you can post a comment on our website. You can respond to our post on Facebook, or you can share your thoughts in our discussion group on Facebook. You can also email Deborah and me through our site and through our Facebook page. By the way, to get the latest news, you can like our page on Facebook. You can subscribe to our newsletter. You can follow us on Instagram, and you can also follow us on Twitter. We will be having a live show, a live recording coming up at Swing Coover. So if you are going to that event, uh, you should keep an eye out on the schedule for our recording. If you're not, you should go. If not, you should go, right. Um, Deborah, I was just thinking that. Right. Uh, You should go. You should come listen to us record the show. And we're going to have an opportunity for you to ask a question and sit with us on the panel. So if you'd like to do that, check out our website. We have a section for live events. And you can submit a question there. um, And we'll we'll choose some of those questions uh, for people who are coming to come ask those questions of us. You can... Of course, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and a number of other podcast hosting platforms. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave us a review on Facebook. And if you're on iTunes, please rate us and give us a review over on iTunes. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Eric. And I'm Deborah. And that's the Naked Truth. All right. Hey, snap, crackle, pop. Oh, okay. You, <laughs> what's happening? Are you having cereal? <laughs> yeah, no. I Your friends it. come to visit? <laughs> Don't they have names, those three little guys? Snap, crackle, and pop. That's uh-huh. their names. That's yeah. their okay. names. Yeah, okay. Like Huey, Dewey, and Louie. Right, right, right. I haven't um, seen the commercial in so long, so. Mo, Larry, and Curly. Yeah.